Hello, welcome into the Big Sky Breakdown, Colter Nuanas. As always, you can find this podcast, SkylineSportsMT.com, broadcasting to you from the ESPN Missoula Studios. This podcast focusing on Montana State, Montana. Uh, we have interviews with Kevin Callahan, the head coach of Monmouth, as his team makes the cross-country trek from West Long Branch, New Jersey, to play the Montana Grizzlies at Washington Grizzly Stadium, the second time that the Monmouth Hawks have played West of the Mississippi the first time came when they played at Montana State. Walls are from Latrell Scott, the head coach at Norfolk State. His Spartans coming across the country as well. The first time Montana State has ever taken on a team from Virginia, a team from the MEAC. So it'll be an interesting matchup as Norfolk State comes to Bobcat Stadium for a Saturday afternoon matchup. But first, Brooks Nwana is back in the saddle. He was in Hawaii for a little while. Haven't done a Big Sky breakdown with him about two weeks. But he's got a lot of thoughts on both the Cats and the Grizz. And make sure you listen all the way to the end because he has a really, really good in-depth breakdown of what it is exactly that the Montana Grizzlies do on defense. Their scheme is unique, and everybody talks about it. The opposing coaches talk about it. Opposing players talk about it. It's really hard to prepare for. Sometimes they're a three-man front. Sometimes they're a four-man front. Sometimes they're in a 3-3-5. Sometimes they're in a 4-2-5. Sometimes those safeties are flexing around, so... They can even be extra linebackers. Sometimes they blitz them. They do a lot of blitzing where they drop their D linemen into zone coverage. It's a fascinating scheme. It's really complicated. I think Montana's really getting the hang of it, and Brooks has a great breakdown of exactly what it is they do. This podcast presented in part by Selway Armory. Selway Armory, Montana's firearms superstore locations in both Bozeman and Missoula. Also presented by Town Pump. Town Pump Food Stores. No matter where you're at in Montana, there's a Town Pump Food Store near you. Town Pump, Montana's best since 1953. Brooks Duanis, joining us on the Big Sky Breakdown. Golter, we know that in Montana there's a lot of hunters, a lot of gun enthusiasts, so you might as well shop local when you're looking for your next firearm or accessory, huh? Soy Army, they got the best prices around and the best service you'll find anywhere. As the guys over there will tell you, shop with Soy Army for a year, we guarantee you, you'll save some money. The other thing is they have great knowledge. There's a lot of questions that people have about the right styles and types to suit them and what it is that they're trying to do. And all the guys over at Selway Armory know their firearms and ammunition and accessories inside and out. With locations in both Missoula and Bozeman, Selway Armory has some specialty products as well, including full Sig Sauer inventory for your best in handguns and much, much more. Like Coulter said, two brick-and-mortar locations, one in Missoula, one in Bozeman, and also online, tremendous inventory there. They'll ship everything you want, SelwayArmory.com. Big Sky Breakdown featuring Brooks Nuanas joining me, Coulter Nuanas, as always, SkylineSportsMT.com. Check us out. we got all sorts of coverage for you, Montana, Montana State, and this podcast we'll be talking about both. Brooks has been out for a little while. He's been keeping tabs on the program and he's been doing interviews when he can and he was at Jeff Choate's press conference on Monday but he was on the road uh, actually I guess on the plane and in paradise in Hawaii I haven't even really caught up with you about your trip brother how was it it was fantastic man I, I told myself I'd probably never go to Hawaii in my life and now about day two I said I'm definitely coming back to Hawaii loved it what was the what was the uh, determining factor for you well, I mean, I would go in football season and just don't change your sleeping schedule because I wake up at about 7 o'clock every day, and 7 o'clock is 3 a.m. in Hawaii. <laughs> I woke up about 4 a.m. every day, um, had the longest days ever, and which felt great. And, like, for instance, Monday night football was on at 1 p.m. in the afternoon. It's pretty good to knock back some cold ones and wrap that thing up about 6 p.m. It's a pretty nice schedule. <laughs> just go to bed at 8 and do it all over again. Yeah, it's, uh, it's fantastic. 
Love it. Well, since we have heard from you last, we were talking about uh, going into the first home games for each Montana and Montana State, and the Cats handled Southeast Missouri State 38-17, a 28-point third quarter, the difference in that one. Uh, The Cats looked great in the first quarter, terrible in the second quarter, and unstoppable in the third quarter. It was the first flash we've seen of their absolute ceiling. If they can harness that again, they're definitely going to be a national contender. Uh, And then kind of holding on for dear life to close that win out in the fourth quarter. And then last week, sort of lackluster all the way around. A sloppy game in Macomb, Illinois. But a win nonetheless, 23-14. The Bobcats earn their first non-conference victory on the road under Jeff Chope. And on the other side, Montana, they looked sloppy in the first half against North Alabama. They gave up two really long touchdowns on busted coverages. They had a blunder in the special teams game, turned the ball over uh, on a fake field goal. But then in the second half, just absolutely boat race North Alabama, 45 unanswered points on the way to a 61-17 victory. Uh, and then last week, Montana goes on the road to Eugene, Oregon, takes on the Ducks, Otson Stadium, and they lose 35-3 to Oregon. Some bright spots in it, but also an interesting deal because a lot of times in those games you're looking for that one spark, that one shift in momentum, that one moment that makes you think, well, what if? What if Montana got another stop here and they were, could mitigate the – the avalanche that is pending you know what if and they did keep the score down to be certain and that was duly impressive because they didn't run the ball that well either so to be able to possess the ball and hold a team that only or that scored 77 the week earlier against Nevada a good effort by Montana but on the same time as soon as Oregon scored that opening touchdown it seemed as if Montana was never really in the mix so uh, Brooks first start with the Cats you watched the Southeast Missouri State game uh, and I know you, you've kept some tabs on the Western Illinois game via the radio as well. Uh, so just general thoughts on Montana State's two-game winning streak and sort of the comparing and contrasting of those two victories? I thought they played really well against uh, against Timo. I thought I thought that's a pretty good team. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily a top-10 team or a team that's going to fight for a seed by any means, uh, but I thought they, they were a pretty good team, uh, especially defensively. I thought that there were some bright moments for Timo and, the Cats really couldn't get a lot going, like you mentioned, especially in that second quarter. Uh, but Troy Anderson showed flashes of his brilliance, uh, a, a really long touchdown run as well as some other really nice plays. Uh, I think overall the Cats haven't really shown the diversity on offense that they've wanted to or maybe that they've thought they might you know, in spring and summer kind of leading up to the season. I think there was some conversation about Matt Miller, more time uh, as the offensive coordinator, get more clarity at quarterback, and then this thing will start to really open up. Um, and they've kind of showed the opposite of that, kind of just going back to what their DNA stuff is, which Jeff Choke talks about regularly. That you know, we're not going to be crazy. We're going to run the ball 485 to 525 times, uh, which is a, a very high number, especially in a league that's still open like the big sky. So overall, I thought that the, some of the stagnation in the running game especially in that second quarter against Timo was a little bit alarming, and it happened again against Western Illinois. Um, some time, you know, some, some pretty stagnant three and outs that are not very creative offensively. It seemed overall that they were able to kind of just grind away and, and, and play the kind of football they've been playing the last three years, which has not really proven to always be winning football, uh, but they definitely will always stay in games with that grinded out style. But overall, I thought, I think they're both good wins. You know, I think that you, you, you have a, a road opponent uh, that comes into Bobcat Stadium. Granted, you should have a pretty hefty home field advantage. 
You know, in football, they always say it's two and a half points. I think of these Montana schools, you look at more like six and a half points. Yep. Um, and uh, they were able to cover something that looks like a lot like that. Uh, and then when you go to Western Illinois, a, a, a big chunk of it, which probably hasn't been talked about unless you listen to the video or audio of Jeff Schultz's full press conference following Western Illinois, was the, the troubling trip to get to Macomb. They stayed 75 or 80 miles away uh, in Iowa and at a resort that was full of fun things to do, water slides, water parks, bowling alleys, casinos, um, a, a pretty fun family environment, it sounds like. But you have to drive 150 miles from the airport to the resort and 75 miles from the resort to the field. And then all that way back to the airport, it, that, that's a trek. And I think it's a little bit uh, distracting, especially for young guys who've never got a never got a, a road non-conference win. So I think overall a good win coming out of uh, Western Illinois there in Macomb. One thing that Ryan Tutel and I talked about earlier, and by the way, Big Sky Breakdown presented in part by Selway Armory. Selway Armory with locations in both Missoula and Bozeman. Take the Selway Armory Challenge. Shop with Selway Armory for a year. We guarantee you that you will save money on your firearms and ammunition needs compared to the big box stores. And if you get a chance, if you're in Bozeman, go check out that new Selway Armory out Jackrabbit Lane, a absolutely gorgeous new store. It's gigantic. They have so much inventory and they they are experts. These guys are the experts when it comes to firearms in Montana. Jim Zimmerman, the owner, is a proud veteran of foreign war and a guy that is really, really dedicated to uh, gun safety and doing firearms the right way. So go check out the new Selway Armory in Bozeman if you get a chance. But, Brooks, as Ryan Tutel and I were talking about in the other Big Sky Breakdown for this week, there's... There's bad quarterback play, and then there's poor quarterback operation. And I think Montana State has the latter right now. We've seen guys that are completely overwhelmed by the moment, and they're just pissing their pants when they're in the game. They can't function. They're nervous. They're two or three seconds slow, can't make the reads. Then there's the guys that just glitch out. They short circuit. They can't read the coverage. When something goes awry, all of a sudden you're panicking. You're throwing into coverage. You're throwing a bunch of picks. Casey Bauman's not really either of those. He has not looked like he's belting down yet in a game, and he has not thrown an interception whatsoever. He has, has zero turnovers, and he's only taken one sack. And we said coming into the year, the number one factor for quarterback play at Montana State is just to find somebody that's not going to screw it up, just find somebody that's not going to burn the house down, just have a guy that takes care of the ball. Bauman's been exactly that, so he's been exactly what they need thus far. To me, when I'm watching him, so much of what he's doing that's holding him back is just the operation por- portion of the game. Jeff Choate talked about his fundamentals the weight transfer for a guy that's so tall, if he doesn't get the weight transfer right, now all of a sudden the ball's diving at the ground or it's getting sailed into the stands. And when you have his height and his arm strength, that's a precarious situation. But when you watch Montana State on film, you watch the plays develop, there's receivers that are getting open, which is something that hasn't necessarily been the case in the last couple years. And Casey Bauman's also getting through his reads. He's just not necessarily making the right throw He's missing some of his reads. He is missing guys that are open. And sometimes when he makes the right read, he's not making the correct fundamental throw. Jeff Choate mentioned the fact that he's holding the ball. He's squeezing the ball too hard. And I was looking at some of your pictures on SkylineSportsMT.com, and it seems to me you can tell he's holding the ball wrong too. And so it seems like that's something that's an easy fix. Also crazy that they haven't noticed it till this point. But the fact that they did notice it, maybe that's a remedy. How would you just evaluate Bauman's play through three games? Yeah, I agree with that. I, mean, I think there's a lot of different styles of sport. You know, I mean, I can relate. I can think of playing tennis, playing golf, throwing a baseball, 
Um, there's all sorts of things where when you grip it too hard, there's just a lot of things that go wrong. And it's so easy to think that even when you're lifting weights, you know, you're on the bench press, if you're wasting too much energy just wrapped around the bar with that thing can actually just sit on your hands a little differently. When you're gripping it too hard, you're wasting energy. The, the, in, your, in your mind, it seems like it would probably be the right play. I want to swing this golf club harder. I'm going to grip it harder. It's actually the opposite. Oftentimes, it's really hard conceptually to think of that. So I agree with that evaluation from Jeff Choate. I also agree with just the trajectory of Casey Bauman's release is at a certain point where the ball comes out a little differently than most guys. And that's going to be across the country. It's going to be kind of through football history. There's really not a lot of 6'6 guys. The ball has a different flight pattern especially a young guy, they're going to have a lot of short stuff for him kind of scripted in the playbook. And those short throws are coming out pretty hot. And that's just the, the style of his arm. I always call these, these rookie quarterbacks, uh, a freshman quarterback who hasn't played, they're nearsighted. They're guys that can only see stuff right in front of them. Um, they cannot really get to that next read. And as Jeff Chope mentioned in his press conference, there is not a lot of second reads for, for Casey. It's either single high safety or split safety. Where's the post help? You go left or right. I mean, the read is almost pre-snap, and you're just kind of getting to one direction. Uh, I think as he starts to see a little bit more, uh, hopefully this next game will be enough for him to have a big sample size to really dial into to conference play. But overall, he's played just like I expected a rookie to play, um, except he has not thrown an interception. So no turnovers have kept them in games, um, has not lost them games, but has not won them games. In this system, with the style of roster they have, that's about all you can ask for. Big Shot Breakdown, presented in part by Town Pump Food Stores. Town Pump, Montana's best since 1953. No matter where you're at in Montana, there's a Town Pump close to you. Brooks is on the road right now. He's driving back from Gardner as part of his wine and beer sales job. I'm sure you're probably driving by some Town Pumps yourself, huh? I certainly am, and I'm servicing some as we speak. There you go. See, Brooks? Keeps your Town Pump food store stocked with the delicious beer and wine you can buy there. So thanks to him, George's Distribution, shout out to them. But also thanks to Town Pump food stores for having some of the best inventory anywhere in the state of Montana. Delicious wine, delicious beer. If you need a drink, a water, a Gatorade, whatever you might need, a snack, Town Pump's got you covered, and they're everywhere. Anytime you need a place to fill up with gas, go check out a Town Pump food store. There is one near you to be certain. Brooks, one more question on Montana State before we move on to Montana, you asked Jeff Choate a really good question on Monday. You said, how do you preserve Troy Anderson as Big Sky Conference play looms? He gave you about a five-minute uh, diatribe on how challenging he thinks the league is going to be, but that was through the lens of trying to keep Troy Anderson healthy. They're going to need him if they want to make a run at the league title. Troy is reached a mythical status in his ability to play on both sides of the ball, his ability to dominate seemingly effortlessly, but he is still immortal, at least so we think. He is a human, and he's been really banged up since the midpoint of last year. I mean, since the beginning of last year, he broke his hand against Western Illinois, had to have surgery. That limited his offensive touches for a couple weeks. He then tweaked his ankle slash knee, what no one really knows, against Cal Poly. He had to have offseason shoulder surgery, which kept him out all of spring ball, and it kept him limited during fall camp. And then he appeared to tweak his ankle again against Western Illinois. And so, to, to me, they definitely do need to look at how many reps they're putting on him. To you, how big of a concern is Troy Anderson being banged up? And what, in your eyes, do they need to do to keep him fresh for conference play? It's a massive concern. I, I have seen Troy 
be in positions of vulnerability with his body that have looked as bad as anyone I've really covered. Um, if anyone who's listening to this podcast has not picked up, I do know quite a bit about the orthopedic side of sports medicine. Um, last year when Troy hurt his knee, they slapped a knee brace on him. It was definitely his knee. And he had a, a, a time during a game where he scored a 50-yard touchdown, 50-plus, and jumped up to celebrate. And I watched his knee just go slap, slap. Just a, a loose slack in there. That can be very common with meniscus. can be common with ACL, which I do not think he had. Uh, but it was clearly an injury that was that made him vulnerable. Um, the shoulder is the same thing. The labrum cuff that you'll ever see guys wear, you see a cuff on their bicep, that wraps up and pretty much ties your arm to your football pads. Um, so your arm literally does not dislocate from your body. So he has that. There's only a handful of guys that have those, and they're usually upperclassmen. I guess at this point he is an upperclassman. We say it goes so fast. I worry about him a lot. Um, Right now, I know it's his ankle that is hurt. Uh, I've confirmed that through several different sources close to the program. Uh, it's his ankle that's bothering him more than anything, as well as his shoulder. That off-season shoulder surgery, man, it takes a year. And these guys are getting six months at most to rehab those kind of things. It's just not enough time. Uh, but, but athletic freaks who are in their prime and young like Troy can usually make it happen. I would shut him down. I don't think he'll play this next game. I bet he suits. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he went on, in on a third down here or there just, just to do that, whatever he does, turn the corner thing and make people look like fools. Uh, but if I was them, if I was Montana State, I would play Troy Anderson for 20 to 25 plays and give him 15 carries on offense pretty much primarily until you need more. The, sca- the way the schedule uh, kind of plays out, especially in league play, they're going to be a pretty heavy favorite, especially at home against quite a few big sky opponents, especially early on. Um, I would rest him, man, because – Jeff Choate really is playing the long game. He thinks that they're going to be a playoff team. He thinks he's trying to plan other style, other guys on the team, help, help uh, kind of programs, what that'll look like. They're going to need Troy Anderson more than anybody. At this juncture, I would say this week's off. I, w- I would imagine maybe the week after is a little bit limited as well. University of Montana, slow start at South Dakota. They didn't score until eight minutes to go in the second quarter, and then they scored on every possession for five straight possessions, and they run away with a 31-17 victory. They come back at home and lackluster start, but a stellar finish. And I think that's been the the early narrative of this season so far is that last year Montana had a bear of a time finishing. They were great starters and terrible finishers. Ten fourth-quarter leads, only six wins. Now they've been dynamite in the third quarter, and they have been – uh, suffocating in the fourth quarter. And this last week was a little bit of an anomaly going against a team that, in my opinion, should be in the top ten in the FBS. If they wouldn't have lost that game to Auburn, they'd probably be in the top six or seven Oregon would. Uh, but still, I thought that there was some bright spots for Montana last week. Not necessarily the spark you'd want in terms of a true upset bid, but a really uh, fortified effort, no back down. I thought the D-line looked great against Oregon's highly touted uh, offensive line that features as many as maybe four NFL guys. So I thought that was a good place to build on. I thought Dante Olson was lights out against Oregon. Uh, and I thought Dalton Sneed's been really, really good so far this year, just in total. So, Brooks, what, what's your general impressions of the Grizz so far as they prepare to host the Monmouth Hawks on Saturday for their last non conference game? I, I really think that you can start to see the defensive scheme just settling in. Uh, it's a complex scheme that has a lot of variation as well as a lot of a lot of things that are going to give other teams fits, no matter even if you're playing well or not, just the style of pre-snap, um, the style of where playmakers are put. 
Uh, I, I think it's a pretty complex defense, and I think it's a pretty nifty one as well. Um, I think you can start to see it settle in. Like you said, Dante Olsen looked like a, an FBS, a full-blown FBS player in that Oregon game, um, which is always good to see. You and I talk a lot about if you want to be the best team in the big sky or one of the three best, especially in the last decade or so, you have to have the, the best player at a position in a, a lot of different positions. You cannot just have one good guy and think you can be the best team. The Weaver States and Easterns of the world, the UC Davises of the world the last three or four years, they have had five or six guys that are the best at their position. And the Grizz are starting to show some flashes of having all, all of that and more. Uh, I think Samia Kem is another, you know, a guy that we've known about, but he continues to kind of just be arguably the best guy in the league um, playing wide receiver. So I think those flashes have been good, especially against Oregon. Um, the game against Northern Alabama, North Al- sorry, North Alabama, is a game that I think you should probably start a little bit uh, quicker with. You should be able to come out the gates and, and put that team away early. Um, I do worry about the Grizz and their, and their running game. That would be the one question mark right now, is how are they going to get it going up front? Um, they have not been able to run the ball that well. They've had flashes, um, especially when they've had, you know, they've been up in, in games. But overall, they have not run the ball very well against South Dakota or Oregon, which I think would be a concern heading into league play. Uh, but there's been flashes. I mean, I think that Robbie Houck is playing fantastic. Another guy that is kind of just transcending, could play at almost any level. I mean, he's, he has such a nose for the ball and such a, a fun style to watch. Um, and Dalton Sneed has really, really played well. He's, you know, he's going to put his hat in the ring for, for that first team, second team all-league quarterback this year. I think that'll continue to grow. Whereas the Cats have wondered about their offensive philosophy and how maybe they still haven't found it, even though they've kind of changed their identity. You can see the Grizz offensively starting to really find what their identity is going to be and, and, and dig in on that, um, which is always good to see. That starts with Sneed. And he's, he's, a, he's a, uh, a tremendous player, tremendous leader. Um, I think as they start to go into, you know, they get one more pretty tough game coming up against Monmouth, who's a, you know, no one to look over. Uh, but if you get that win, I think they're looking pretty, pretty good going into league play. Definitely taking strides from the team that we saw last year, um, as far as what you mentioned, finishing games and, and being a more of a cohesive unit and more identity as a team. Two things for you on that those those notes. One, the defensive scheme to me is is fascinating because. I've watched Montana operate this scheme for 14 games now, and I don't think I could confidently and articulately put into words exactly what the identity of the scheme is. I think that's what makes it unique is just how unorthodox and how truly different it is. And I think Kevin Callahan, Monmouth head coach, who you'll hear from a little bit later on in this podcast, he said he's never seen a defense like it. And Jake Mayer from UC Davis echoed those comments last year after Davis came to Missoula and won. And, um, you know, broadly, you look at it and you think, okay, it's a 3-3-5. They play in a third safety. They have an odd man front. But then sometimes they're running a 4-2-5. And sometimes they're running zone blitz stuff where their D tackles are dropping into coverage and they're bringing both inside linebackers up the middle. And sometimes the rover is playing uh, an outside linebacker hybrid. And sometimes – Two safeties are down in the box, and you're playing a true one high, and that makes it kind of like a four-three. I don't even know. It's like a four-three-four, or no? It's like it's it's almost like a four-four 
three. <laughs> but those guys are, you know, sometimes the rover guy turns into your de facto nickel, which is something that Josh Sanders really embraced. Sometimes your strong safety, Gavin Robertson, turns into de facto outside linebacker. It's just very diverse. So I guess my first question for you is, as this marches on, every football scheme tendencies are revealed. If there are tendencies to this scheme, what are the weaknesses of those tendencies? Our weaknesses could be the middle of the field in, in almost every single defense, but primarily in this defense as well. So the weakness would be th- uh, you know uh, a free vertical to a single side. The trip trips coverage or trips receivers um, to one side of the field will always kind of alter any kind of defense, no matter what what you lined up as or what your personnel is. When you see trips to a side, you have to have a trips check because three verticals will always kind of will shut down any defensive principle. So the middle of the field is going to be where the, the shots are going to be taken. But that means that you're also going to have to, if you're not checking to like pretty much a, a, a quarters man system and, and when you see trips, which the Grizz don't do a lot, that means that you're still going to have pressure coming. So to get deep balls down the middle of the field means the quarterback has to stay clean, and that's not going to be very easy against a team that's bringing pressure from, from multiple levels. Uh, the other thing they're doing that's so interesting, that's fun to watch, is letting the corners play a little bit of like a hybrid. Uh, it's like a sagging cover two. So when you have your two high safeties, you can kind of pack them so low in the box, whereas they're still high safeties, but they're only 12, 10 yards instead of 12 and 13 yards out of the box. And those corners can kind of bail as if they were playing man and almost play like a two, what the two high safeties would look like. And the two safeties can play buzz underneath. So they can like dip down below the corners and let the corners kind of play high. And then those safeties are lurking at that, like between six and 10 yards, which is what the Grizz are kind of want to give you. But then you're talking about big hits. You're talking about tip balls. You're talking about confusing coverage, especially if those safeties don't want to buzz and they actually do play a traditional two. You're going to think you have windows to the outside, but you won't. Uh, so both, all of that is fascinating. The ability to play multiple safeties and truly play them at safety and not always nickel is a really interesting thing. I would say the, the, the team they'll struggle with is a team like Eastern that can push the ball down the middle of the field. And um, in, in, in even in non-trips, look, they can get the tight end loose. They can expose people kind of in that middle of the field, more vertical style. But this team, again, they're going to – face a lot of pressure no matter what, especially with an odd man front when you don't know where it's coming from. The quarterback will have to stay clean to get anything downfield. My second question for you is that, to me, the theme of the last nine to ten months of Grizz football has been the attempted renewal of confidence under the premise of the unquestioned and unwavering expectation of excellence. And that's something I think that Bobby Houck is – uh, steadfast on something that I think it's he's different in than maybe the last couple head coaches at the University of Montana, and and, and I'm not trying to dog on those guys whatsoever, but Bobby Houck accepts nothing less than excellence, and I think that's why he's the perfect fit at the University of Montana, and he has been just unquestionably confident in his team, and he's been trying to instill that confidence in his players. That said, Bobby Houck is a very hard nosed coach. His staff is a very hard nosed staff. Uh, and they are very, very um, straightforward and, and some would say uh, demanding in the way that they coach the individual players. Why does it work? Why does, why does the balancing of publicly preaching confidence among your players and trying to instill that in them, but then also demanding excellence on a day-to-day level at practice, how do those two things symbiotically fit together 
And how much do you think that could help Montana get out of the doldrums that have plagued them the last five years and get back to the nationally elite level? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, um, and it's funny because when you ask me that, the, the one thing and the one word that comes to mind and the one concept that is just the thread throughout Bobby's tenure, especially his first go around, is accountability. Um, and, you know, I say it's funny because of the of kind of the downfall that happened with a lack of accountability off the field that plagued the university for the last decade. Um, but overall, it's, it's about accountability. And, and you hear the Patriots players, you've heard Josh Gordon talk about it uh, recently when Antonio Brown, the receiver, was traded or released from the Raiders and signed with the Patriots. And Josh Gordon talked a lot about how this is a difficult program. He's talking about a, a professional uh, environment being a difficult program because of the levels of accountability. Nothing is given in the sense that in the last coaching staff that was at the University of Montana, I think that there was, you know, levels of recruiting of recruits that were going to play due to that level. Um, you kind of came in tiered already, not necessarily due to hard work, and you kind of got reps tiered as 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 in, in a similar fashion. With Bobby, it's it's the best players play, and you have to prove it all the time. Uh, that, that's such an interesting concept, and it seems like a no-brainer. Everyone must do that across the board in college football. It's just not the case. It's not the case no at all. Has, last week I was watching. Last week I was watching. So they gave Tyler Flink, who's a walk-on from Missoula Big Sky, a chance to run down on a kickoff during fall camp, and he smashed the blocker that was attempting to block him. And I never thought this kid was going to have a chance to play for years, maybe even ever. Now, he's a good high school player for sure, but he was a guy that was way, way, way down on the recruits list. And as soon as he did that, he, he got another chance on kickoff. He got another chance on kickoff. Well, I was watching the Oregon game. He's starting on almost every single special teams. And that's what it is. If you get a chance to prove yourself, and you do, and then you get a chance to prove yourself again, and you are challenged, it's it's not just the best players, but it's the players that embrace the opportunity. And that's where Bobby Houck is so great. It is. And, you know, I, I think about it with a lot of, of the positions that we can consider the diva positions, the corners and the receivers and the guys that, you know, are pretty boys that are more athletic than they are physical. Well, Bobby makes these challenges you at every level. Last year, Keenan Curran was challenged constantly. You know, a guy that's been a, a, a captain, a guy that's a, a true leader being benched because of his performance or because of his attitude and the guy that has to fight his way back. And you can see him become a better person because of it. Samari Torre faced a lot of the similar things. Last year didn't play as much. This year has a more elevated role due to work ethic. Those kind of things always play out. You see Jace Lewis in the middle having a tremendous fall so far. Uh, those kind of things play out. And Michael McGinnis, it goes on and on and on. Nash Bouch, guys that are going to put in the hard work, not just because that they're high levels of a recruit, but a guy like Michael McGinnis will play over anyone if he, if he deserves it. And that's kind of already showed its teeth. That's where accountability plays off. And that's why Bobby Hell can run a program because he knows he's in it for the long haul. He talks about history. He talks about the accountability to that history. You you know you, you do not you do not get to put on the jersey unless you have an understanding of what came before you um, and he's there's no one that's better at that in college football I would imagine. Last question for you then Brooks, the perfect lead into this. The narrative of a season that is projected by a head coach is one of the most fascinating things and one of the things that impacts us in the way that we tell these stories and just our day to day coverage of all of this stuff. And when you look at Jeff Choate, Jeff Choate is such a big picture guy, and he displays everything. He has laid out his vision intricately and in detail, and he has prophesized a lot of 
what's going to happen, both from a season perspective and a game-by-game perspective. And he talked all about you know the challenges of Texas Tech and what his goals were and how they're going to play a bunch of guys and see what they could do. But you know, get ready, not make it too big of an uphill uphill battle. Just try to use it as a learning opportunity and a chance to get better. Uh, and then he talked about you know riding the emotions of of the Gold Rush game against Southeast Missouri State, which they did. Uh, and then he talked about how he identified Western Illinois as a trap game a year and a half ago, and then that that self fulfilling prophecy proved to be true. Uh, and now it's an interesting deal because I think that he thinks that they have a lot of talent, and they do. I think he thinks they have a chance to be pretty good, which they do, especially given their schedule. Uh, and it's just interesting to see the way that the the vision plays out because now it, they're reaching a point where it's put up or shut up. You've had three and one-third years now under your belt, so can you win big, as their hashtag says. Then on the flip side of that, Bobby Houck's the exact opposite. What's your barometer of success against Oregon this week, Coach? Winning, he says. No elaboration, no stepping down, winning. That's it. Somebody asked Samari Torrey, do you feel like as a guy from Oregon who didn't get recruited by the Ducks, do you have something to prove? Coach Houck grabs the mic and says no. (laughs) After the game, you ask Bobby what he thought, you know, some of the silver linings were. There is no silver lining. We lost. You know, you had the ability to win on the outside in one-on-ones with your receivers, and you did from time to time. Sammy and Kim, Jerry Lou McGee both had six catches. Well, we only scored three points, so I can't say we did anything that great. Uh, that That's the expectation of excellence I'm talking about. But when you cover these two programs in depth like we do, the comparing and contrasting is fascinating. And I don't think that there's ever been as big of a dichotomy while also there's been dichotomies between the, the two head coaches at the schools. But a lot of times that's when one of the two was lopsided. Like when Don Reed was at Montana and Cliff Heisel was at Montana State, complete opposite personalities. But there was no real debate on which one was more effective because Don Reed's winning national championships and Cliff Heisel's in the midst of the streak where he can't beat the Grizzlies and they can't make the playoffs. You talk about Rob Ash and Mike Kramer, those are completely different guys. You talk about Bobby Halk and Mike Kramer, completely different guys. But so much of it is just the comparing and contrasting of philosophies. But now we have two guys that are such great leaders and I think really well-respected guys both inside their programs and outside. But just compare and contrast these two philosophies to me because it seems like they're opposites, and I think they both have effectiveness and I think they both have downfalls. Uh, It's just interesting to see it both play out on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, I I agree with you. I, you know, I think that if you were to ask any athletic director at this level of football, which is, you know, in a, in a lot of ways it's mid-major Division One football because it still is Division One. It's in the, in the subdivision, but you know, it's mid-major Division One football. It's big time football. The budgets are big. The attendance across the board usually is is relatively big. The followings are big. The alumni bases are big, um, especially in the Big Fed Conference. You're talking about large state schools with massive uh, enrollment uh, at most places at least and these kind of things are important in because football as is spoken about at the college level is all if is oftentimes the porch the porch is not the most important part of a house but it's a, it is the part you see the most it is the part that you see first so these football programs are run in a lot of ways as the, the, the porch to these massive universities most athletic directors would probably say that they would want a Jeff Choate-style family-run program where at the end of the day, the number one priority when you leave will to be a, a better person than you came in. You're, you're building men. You're talking about putting people back into society. Whereas at Montana, similar notion, because football inherently has that, those same philosophies, but at Montana, it's much more about competing at a national level. It's much more about being 
nationally elite. And that is a, a, a higher ceiling, uh, but also a lower floor because there's some pitfalls to things that you do have to, you know, at this level, we all know what it takes to compete in Division One. Some of it's dark and some of it's grindy. Uh, you have to ask kids to do things that most normal people wouldn't do. You have to ask kids to run down on kickoff and, and, and risk brain injuries and risk uh, lower leg injuries and risk knee injuries and broken bones and long-term, lifelong things to compete at a national level. Those two philosophies are different. Bobby does create good men. He does install work ethic, but he's not your friend, and there is no hugs involved. Of course there is. Of course that's a, a, I'm speaking in hyperbole, but Jeff Choke is all about family. It's all about going to his home and spending time around to his family and eating good meals and laughing with one another. They are two different programs. I do think that they both can be national elite within those styles. But like I say, I think Jeff Choate's floor, as far as the commitment to the university and what it takes and what the university's mission is as a whole, is probably a little bit higher because he's going to turn out good kids because that's just the way it is. I think Bobby Houck has the same opportunity, but he has a higher goal as far as being nationally elite with the resources, the champion center, the things that they have legs up on, especially over Montana state currently, uh, that his expectations for on field performance are different. The two things that I think are different between the coaches in game is that Bobby Houck has done, has been a head coach a whole lot longer than Jeff Choate. He can pivot. He can transition on the fly. He can see the game when it doesn't go to planned and make an instantaneous move that, oftentimes is right and oftentimes will spark a team. Whereas if things don't go to Jeff Choate's plan, the things that he prophesizes, the things that he still has to believe in because he's not as experienced of a coach, things can go awry pretty quickly. He did not have Troy Anderson in these last two full seasons. Some of those games that he has won, he might have lost, and the record might look worse because he's really not a good coach at in-game pivoting, especially when it's uh, a hook shot from left field. But I think that the, the two coaches are different. I do think they can reach a very similar level. I think that Jeff Choate probably has a different recruiting pitch, which is probably pretty fun, especially for modern-day parents and modern-day kids. I think most of those styles fit into Jeff Choate. But I think that Bobby Houck does have a, a higher ceiling as far as the, the, the tradition in the, last 20, in the last 20 years as well as the, the modern-day facilities um, and, and his style of big-time – big level, high level expectations on a national level as far as performance goes, they are different, but I do think they can reach kind of a similar plateau, at least in, in this season when you look at the rosters. Excellent analysis. Brooks Noir, SkyOnSportsMT.com. Big Sky Breakdown, as always, presented in part by Selway Armory, Montana's superstore for firearms in Missoula and Bozeman, and Town Pump Food Stores, Montana's best since 1953. Brooks, Great having you back on the Big Sky Breakdown. We appreciate it. Always. Thanks to our sponsors. We couldn't do it without them, as well as uh, thanks for the time today. Anyone who's listening, we love doing this. We love sharing it with you. Hope you do the same. Any feedback is always appreciated. Uh, SkylineSportsMT.com. We're here for you. Hey, Coulter. Town Pump is across the state of Montana, just like Skyline Sports MT, for that matter. Well, Skyline Sports across the globe. Do you tell Nuanas across the state? Okay, back to Town Pump. I get it. All right. Seems like you can't turn anywhere in Montana without seeing a town pump. Like they say, there's one right down the road, and they got you covered no matter what you need.
That's right. Gas and convenience stores, of course, the best and nicest convenience stores. Excellent bathrooms, I might add, which I appreciate very much at Town Pump. But also, if you're looking for a little leisure time, leisure activities, the casinos, the liquor stores, they have everything that you need. Great prices on beer and wine, all the snacks and food you could ever want. Town Pump Food Stores, Montana's best since 1953. Hour number two. It's time to talk Monmouth Grizzly football with somebody who knows a little bit about Monmouth football. That's Kevin Callahan, the head coach. It is Two Tell Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television across the state. Hi, great to be with you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. Thanks for spending some of it with us. We are broadcasting live from the Kurtz Polaris Studios. Kurtz Polaris at 2904 West Broadway and Missoula Highway 83 in Sealy. Online at KurtzPolaris.com. If you missed anything in the first hour of the show, the podcast is available to you because we care about you. You go to the, your favorite podcasting platform, you look up Two Tell Nuanas, you get the Two Tell Nuanas podcast. It's that easy. The podcast is there thanks to the Wingate by Wyndham Hotel. We go now to the Rankins Brothers RV phone line. We welcome in the head coach, the only head coach in the history of Monmouth University, Kevin Callahan, uh, with us as they come to Missoula to play the Grizzlies on Saturday, 1 o'clock kickoff there. Coach Callahan, thanks so much for being with us. Appreciate it. How are you? I'm doing great tonight, guys. Great to be on the show. Appreciate you having me. Well, we're certainly happy to have you on. Looking forward to this game uh, uh, on Saturday. And it's interesting. Coulter and I were talking about uh, just regions of the country and the different types of football that you get. And being there in New Jersey and in the Northeast in general, seems like the running game is just sort of a signature of that, you know, of that area when it comes to football. Why is that? First of all, is that true? Are we wrong on this? And, And second of all, why is that? And we know you got a great running back on your club. Well, I, I think it is an accurate uh, assessment of, uh, you know, kind of football in the northeast part of the country, and I think a lot of that has to do with the weather, uh, particularly when you get uh, later in the season, as you get into late October, November, or early December, and in particular maybe playoff games. Uh, very few people have any type of indoor facility here, um, and, and you're, you're, you're playing in rain, you're playing in wind, uh, a lot of different elements. And uh, I think you've got to be able to run the ball uh, in this part of the country if you want to be successful. We can't all just be soft soaking up the sunshine in Florida, right, Coach? You know, you got you got to play some tough-nosed football sometimes. That, that, that's true, but, yeah, they have their issues too, right? <laughs> right, yeah. The hurricanes, Yeah, right? there's, I guess there's that. I could have picked somewhere else. Guess, yeah. <laughs> Coach Gallon, hey, Coulter Nuanas, thanks so much for being with us today. I was telling Ryan in our first segment that some of the best, I've covered the FCS now for 13 years, some of the best running backs I've seen, Miguel Masonette from Stony Brook, uh, Ryan Fulce last year at Wagner. And it sounds like you guys got yourself a pretty darn good one, and Pete Guerrero as well this year. So t- tell us a little bit about him. I know he's a guy that has seemed like, at least this season so far, incredibly durable. 30 carries last week. He's been over 100 yards three weeks in a row. What sort of element do you think he brings to your guys' offense? Well, I mean, he, he's, a, he's a very explosive back, and it's a, a very interesting story It's how, how we came by Pete. Uh, he first came to Monmouth University to, to run track. Um, did not play football, played at a a very small high school in New Jersey, was actually a a quarterback that uh, really ran the ball quite a bit out of the Wildcat formation. And he was a sprinter on our track team here, won the conference championships in both the 100 and the 200 meters, Uh, came to us uh, the spring of his freshman year and said he really missed football and he wanted to get back involved in it. So the first year he played with us, he played football in the fall and ran track in the spring and winter. And then after last season, decided he wanted to devote himself full-time to football. And really what that enabled him to do is is spend a a concentrated amount of time 
with our strength and conditioning staff. He added about uh, 12 to 15 pounds of muscle. Um, he's more durable now, I think, and stronger than he, than he was when he first came with us. And I think we're seeing the result of all that hard work out on the football field. And he has the ability to carry the ball uh, you know, over 20 times now, where maybe two years ago you know, his limit would have been around 15. Kevin Callahan joining us. He's the head coach of Monmouth University football team. And, Coach, you're in your 27th year as the head coach, which is, first of all, an incredibly long duration for anybody in any coaching position, but also the uniqueness of being the only head coach in the history of the school. What was it like to, to I mean, get a program started from, uh, from absolutely square one and then having this really be your career legacy in the sport? Well, you know, it was a unique opportunity. I came here from Colgate University, as you said, 27 years ago. And, uh, you know, Mammoth had a strong desire to, to build a football program. It had never had football here before. Um, and it's a great area. New Jersey's a, a very uh, talent-rich when it comes to high school uh, football. And I just saw it as a great opportunity to, to kind of create a football program the way you wanted it to be. Uh, you weren't coming in and taking over from somebody else and, you know, having to, to fight against, well, this is the way we do it type mentality. Uh, I could build it the way I wanted it. And, you know, after we got it up and running, and in those days it was a lot different. We were non-scholarship when we first started, and, you know, it was it was a, a whole different type of recruiting. But every five years or so, we, we grew and we changed. We added some limited scholarships. And then before, you know, our most recent change, which was back in 2014, when we joined the Big South and went to full scholarship football, so it's it's been a great run. Um, I've really enjoyed it. The people here at Monmouth University are terrific to work for. Our administration, our athletic director, Dr. McNeil, all, all great people. And I guess after being here for so long, you develop a sense of ownership for the program. And uh, you know, as I said, I've I've enjoyed see, watching it grow. Back in 2013, you guys made the trek out to Montana State. I actually, I actually remember interviewing you before that game, uh, leading up to the Bobcat matchup. How was your program? changed, evolved, grown since the last time you guys came to Montana? Well, I, I think back in 2013, uh, that was right when we left the Northeast Conference and uh, we were independent that year. Uh, when we went out and played Montana State, we had 33 scholarships, I believe it was, in our football program. So not nearly what everybody else in the FCS level had, or at least people that were operating with full equivalencies. And since that time, you know, over the years, we've been able to add scholarships where we're up close to the maximum right now. So I think that's changed how we recruit. It's changed who we recruit. It's changed the depth in our program, which if you remember back in 2013 was something that we didn't have. So I think we're, we're better prepared in terms of depth uh, than we were back then. Um, I, I think we're, we're able to play a higher level of football than we, when, than we did back in 2013. Coach, as you mentioned, you're there in New Jersey uh, in pretty shooting distance from our perspective to uh, both New York City and Philadelphia. I mean, you're right there. What's it like to tell your kids, hey, we're headed to Montana. Everybody saddle up. We're going out west. And what, what, what are they kind of what's what's the perception if there is one? And what is, what's kind of the scuttle amongst the team about heading out here to play a football game? 
Well, you know, they're excited about it. They're obviously very aware of the, the, the strong tradition of football that the University of Montana has and how successful they've been on the national level and, you know, a, a, a perennial uh, fixture in uh, the FCS playoffs. So they're excited by the challenges it's going to bring. You know, the one thing I will say, back in 2013 when we went out to Bozeman, we had a, a day, we were playing on, a, I guess, a Thursday night, so we had uh, some time during the day, uh, the day before, we took our kids on a hike in a state park and uh, actually ended up getting five players lost in the woods. Um, five, five players who, I don't know, they thought they were Daniel Boone or somebody, and, 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 and we lost them for a while, and it took us a while to get them. So I guarantee there won't be any hikes or, or treks in the woods this time. Yeah, I mean, stick to the trail. You could go up the M. That's pretty fail-safe. You're right there in the in the, in the community, but uh, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty impressive. You know, one thing that, uh, you know, you'll know, and, and uh, certainly having played at Montana State, you get some of this as well, but Washington Grizzly Stadium just as a, a, a venue is, uh, you know, certainly one of the tops in the FCS. And uh, I think, you know, probably the, the reports on the type of environment that it will be and the number of fans in relation to, you know, what you kind of normally see is significant. What have you told your team about that, and what do you expect on Saturday just from that standpoint? Well, you know, obviously, we, you know, we, we've talked to people who have played out there, and, and, and they all say, uh, you know, to a person that it's probably the best venue of that you'll find in FCS football, and that the crowd is is, is energized and they're very much into the game, and 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 they you know they're really you know you know uh, very loyal uh, you know Grizzly fans. Um, we told our team to focus on what happens on the field. Uh, we can't worry about the, the stuff that's off the field or in the stands or or how many people are there. Is focus on what they have to do to succeed on every play and handle it one play at a time. Now, we know there's going to be some distractions. We know it's going to be noisy. But the better that we can focus on what we have to do, the better that we can concentrate on, on what we need to do to succeed, I think the, be- the better uh, we'll off will be. Kevin Callahan, the head coach for the Monmouth Hawks. They play the University of Montana in Missoula on Saturday afternoon. Coach, you mentioned the differences when you first – were the, the inaugural coach of Bodmouth when this program first started 26 years ago uh, in, in recruiting to what it is now. No scholarships to then some scholarships to then now almost a fully funded 63 scholarship FCS program. What are the biggest differences you notice in recruiting and what are uh, some of the things you were able to do now that you can offer uh, scholarships at the level you can? Well, I, I think it's, it's, it's opened the door to uh, a higher caliber athlete from the, on the high school level. Uh, uh, players who back, if you're talking about 1993, um, wouldn't even have considered Monmouth University. Uh, but now we're able to compete with programs here in the East, the CAA, the, the, the Patriot League uh, uh, schools, and, and we're able to uh, compete head-to-head with those schools in recruiting, so we're getting a higher caliber athlete. The other thing is it's done is it's opened the door for us to uh, play some FBS schools. Uh, we haven't played a lot of them. we played maybe four, I think, uh, over the last four or five years, um, and it, it's opened up opportunities there. And, again, it's just it's about exposing the players in our program to – uh, different levels of football that exist throughout the country. And, and you know, that that's part of what this is all about, is, is giving our kids a quality experience here. Well, Coach, we've talked a lot of the things surrounding the game, but haven't talked a lot about the game itself. As you, I know it's early in the week still, but if you've looked at this iteration of the University of Montana and some of the players they have, what, what do you see on film through a coach's view uh, of this team, and what are you expecting Saturday? 
Well, you know, as you as you break down video and you're, you're you're scouting your opponent, you're always looking for for weaknesses that you feel that they might have or areas that you might be able to exploit. And, and I'll be honest with you guys, in, in looking at this Montana team on both sides of the ball, um, I haven't found any weaknesses yet. Uh, they're a very very talented offensive unit. Uh, they have a, a lot of experience, a lot of older players who've been around for a while, um, and, and they seem to have the, all the right pieces. You know, they first of all, you know, starting with the quarterback. Uh, they've got a guy as a redshirt senior who can uh, do anything that they ask him. He gets rid of the ball very quickly. He's very accurate with his throwing. Um, he seems to have an outstanding knowledge of the concepts that they're trying to employ offensively, and, and he can hurt you with his feet. Uh, he, he can really run. And, and they offset that with a, a very big and talented offensive line, uh, guys that, that are able to not only protect him but provide holes in the run game. And then and they can hurt you on the perimeter. They've got an excellent core of receivers, um, and there's good balance to it. They have great size at the position on the outside. They have excellent quickness on the inside, and they appear to have really good depth at it. And then when you flip it over to the defensive side, you know, I, I'm very impressed by the linebacking group. Uh, outstanding group, uh, you know, starting with the Olsen guy. I mean, he's, he's an outstanding player. And, again, you're talking about another uh, redshirt senior, a fifth-year guy. Um, their their defensive front is very formidable, um, and on the back end um, they have the ability to cover and, and I mean and, and make plays in the run game. Um, watching their Oregon game from from last Saturday night, um, they, they were not out of place at all, um, regardless of what the score says. I mean they were right there. They played. They matched up athletically, um, and, and we know we're going to have a, a very imposing challenge. You mentioned just the, the personnel on defense. When you're breaking down the scheme of what Montana does on defense, we're 14 games into Bobby Houck's second tenure at the University of Montana and Kent Bear's defensive scheme. And it seems so unorthodox when you're watching it from the press box, when you're watching it on film. There, there's so much variability to it. And I know that they've used some of the schematic stuff to confuse opponents. When you look at that defense, what do you see schematically? Well, I, I see a scheme that's, that's, I guess I would call it unique. Uh, it, it, it certainly, they, they do a lot of different things. You, know, they, you, you look at them on, on the surface and you say, all right, they're a 3-3, three, three, um, an odd front, but they're much more than that. And, and you know, they, they do things that, you know, you, you, we probably won't see the rest of this year and haven't seen before this year. Um, but they do it, and it, it's very well coordinated. Their players know exactly where they're going. They have spots they have to get to. It doesn't matter if they're they're called a defensive end or a nose tackle or a linebacker or whatever they're called. Uh, they're going to get to those spots, and it, it's a good uh, mix and match of things. Um, they can mix up their pressures, and, and they do a great job, I think, of employing their their guys on the back end, their secondary guys. Um, you know, their safeties are very much involved and are able to insert themselves in at different spots uh, to to both defend against the pass and the underneath areas, but also uh, to defend against the run. You mentioned fifth-year seniors, and you have a great one. And Kenji Bahar, uh, your quarterback, the preseason offensive player of the year in the Big South, and a guy who's uh, been really good for you for a couple of years now. What sort of comfort does that give you as a coach, just having a guy that has his experience, his level of, of athleticism? Well, you know, any time, as, as you guys know from out there in Montana, any time that you have a guy at the quarterback position who's experienced, he's mature, he, he's been on the field for you before, and he has the, the ability to make plays, it, it's certainly very comfort, comforting. And, uh, you know, Kenji now is in his third year as a starter for us, and, you know, he's grown each and every year. 
he's a guy that really becomes like an extra coach on the field uh, because he has such a tremendous understanding of what it is we're trying to do. He has the ability to change protections, change plays at the line of, at the line of scrimmage, and to get us into some very good looks against what we're seeing from the defense. So you know, it, it's invaluable to have a guy like him, uh, you know, taking a snap for you. We get you out of here on this, coach. I know you've. you've had a part in developing and mentoring a lot of guys over your 26 years. But Miles Austin is the guy that really jumps off the page when you talk about famous Monmouth football players. And and he rose to to great prominence uh, in the late 2000s, maybe early 2010s with the Dallas Cowboys. I think he led the NFC in receiving yards back-to-back years, catching passes for Tony Romo. He's a pro bowler and just an all-around great player. He played his career at Monmouth, uh, culminating in 2006, what do you remember about his career at Monmouth, and what was it like to watch a guy rise to the level of, of fame and accomplishment that Miles well, Austin was able to rise to? Well, you know, it, it's interesting. When when Miles came here, he wasn't that highly recruited. Right. Matter of fact, he was probably more sought after for his basketball and track ability than he was for football. Again, came from a very small program here in, in the state of New Jersey. Uh, we were fortunate enough to have him come here, and you know, it's one of those guys. And you know, when you're in coaching, you you, you have those guys that come along every so often that. As soon as he stepped foot on campus, you kind of looked at each other and said, he's different. He, he, he's got some things that other guys don't have. And just watching him grow and develop as a football player, as a receiver, in the time that he was with us, uh, you almost knew he was destined for great things beyond college football. Well, you know, Coach, I was on some teams. They said I was different, too, but it wasn't a compliment. Uh, that's the way that goes. Right. Hey, uh, Coach, we, we really appreciate the time. After 7, uh, where you're at, so doing this in the evening, we really appreciate you taking the time out. And really looking forward to the football game on Saturday. Travel safe, and we'll look forward to seeing you then, okay? Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Kevin Callahan, the head coach of the Monmouth University Hawks, head football coach, again, Monmouth versus the University of Montana, 1 o'clock, Washington Grizzly Stadium, Saturday. A proper afternoon kickoff time. Huh, Coulter? I mean, Love you it. know. College football, play at 1 o'clock. That's what it's supposed to be. Uh, great of him to uh, come and enjoy us. We certainly appreciate that. If you missed any of that, we'll have the full up on our podcast for two Tuttle as well as it'll be a part of this week's Big Sky Breakdown as well, SkyOnSportsMT.com. Um, we'll take a quick break. Coulter, something people may not know about us, but we work at a company. Imagine that. We don't just broadcast from our bedrooms. I mean, I've wanted to work from home, but the studio is here, and we also do sales things, and we also have a marketing department, and we also have a general manager and a program director. We are a very integrated unit here. We even have office telephones. The only voicemail you have that's not full. That is a fact, and it's not full because Blackfoot gives me enough space to have it all. And Blackfoot has all the things that we use for our business to make it run functionally. In fact, did you know that today's phone solutions are changing the way businesses operate? To communicate more effectively with colleagues and customers, companies are turning to hosted voice. You know what they call hosted voice solutions? VoIP. What is VoIP? Well, they're the hosted voice solutions that keep up with the business demands. And Blackfoot has their own hosted voice solution, or VoIP. It's called Ergo. Sounds elegant. Ergo certainly is elegant. It's also secure, scalable, and state-of-the-art with 24-7 local account management and support. If you're interested in learning how Ergo can support your business needs, visit goblackfoot.com slash voice to learn more. One more time, it's visit goblackfoot.com backslash voice. Blackfoot takes care of us, Coulter, and it can take care of you. 
Hey guys, Ryan Tutel here for SkylineSportsMT.com. You know, when we brought Coulter on a year ago, it was a huge boost to ESPN Radio because no one knows more about the Grizz and Cats than he does. But Coulter is a journalist first and started Skyline Sports to cover the Big Sky explicitly full-time with no corporate interference. Just the sports teams and people you care about unfiltered. I'm in the sports media, I understand the landscape, and I can tell you, there is simply no better sports journalism done in the state of Montana than that of Skyline Sports. Improve your habits. Go to SkylineSportsMT.com. We go now to the Rangich Brothers RV phone line, and we welcome in Norfolk State head coach Latrell Scott to Tutelanuanas. Coach Scott, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Coach Bradley, first of all, just tell us about coming to Montana. Have you ever been to Montana before as your team prepares to take on Montana State on Saturday afternoon? And what are your expectations for your trip to Bozeman? Uh, I have not been to Bozeman. I've not been to Montana either. Uh, I've played uh, – you know, several teams from, from out that way, but never actually in Montana. So we're looking forward to it. It's, uh, it's a trip that, you know, probably I wasn't expecting to take, but uh, we're definitely looking forward to it. I hear it's a beautiful country, uh, and it's a great experience for our guys. So, you know, we're looking forward to bringing them out. You know, talk about that a little bit because obviously football comes first and, you know, you're preparing to, to go and, and win a football game and all that kind of stuff. But also when it comes to especially non-conference stuff, the, the some of the trips that you can take – can give guys an opportunity to see parts of the country, interact with people that they never would have, you know, otherwise. Is that something that, you know, plays into a trip like this for you when you when you talk about bringing your team out here? Well, I, I think you have to. I think it's all a part of the student-athlete experience. I think it's something that, you know, when guys are 25 and 30 years old, they have the opportunity to say, hey, you remember the time that we went out to Montana? Because I don't really think that uh, any of my guys would, 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 would plan a trip to Montana at any point in their life. So we're uh, we're excited about it and, and looking forward to seeing uh, that part of the country. Logistically, what's the trip going to be like for you guys? Where are you guys flying? What's the path to get to Montana? Uh, so, you know, we're, we're very fortunate. Our administration's uh, affording us the ability that we're going to fly directly from Norfolk uh, into Bozeman. So, uh, it's you know, we're being told it's about a four-hour flight, so we're going to leave here uh, at 11 o'clock our time, which should get us there, uh, 1 o'clock Bozeman time. And, uh, we're going to check into the hotel and uh, practice over at uh, Bozeman High School, I believe, and uh, just just try to run around and get used to the area. And then we'll have a normal Friday night schedule and, you know, get up and be ready to go Saturday morning. There's only one guy on Montana State that has any familiarity with your neck of the woods, Jacquey Allen, a safety for MSU. He started his career at Virginia Tech, and now uh, he's playing at Montana State. But he's from Virginia Beach. But I've covered several guys from that area, and anybody that follows sports knows that the Norfolk, Virginia Beach, uh, Roanoke, Richmond, that whole area, just so rich with athletes of all sorts. Allen Iverson, Michael Vick, you know, Bruce Smith, you know, D'Angelo Hall, Percy Harvin, Cam Chancellor, Russell Wilson. All the, There's so many guys from that part of the country. Is there anything you can put your finger on to why the recruiting talent, why the, the athletic talent is so rich in your part of the world? I think, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's the number of people. I think, obviously, with the military bases and all those things being here, but we're we're very fortunate uh, to be in this area. I was born and raised in Richmond. I went to college at Hampton University down here uh, in uh, in what we call the seven five seven, and it's it's been a talent rich region, uh, you know, for a number of sports for a lot of years. So uh, we're just very fortunate to have a few guys on our team uh, from the area. We've kind of built our recruiting base uh, inside out. You know, we we started out saying that we we're going to recruit locally and then regionally. And, and then nationally, and it's uh, it's paid off for us. And I think the young man uh, played 
uh, high school ball over at Ocean Lakes for Coach Scott, and uh, yep. he's very familiar with a couple of guys on our team. Coach, you play uh, football there in the MEAC, and the HBCUs in that area are are something that have been you know very influential over the years and continue to just grow and grow. What is uh, special to you about being a part of that group of universities and playing in that conference? Well, the, the MEAC means a lot to me, uh, you know, first and foremost, because I played in this conference. Uh, you know, had a chance to, to, to play for Joe Taylor over at Hampton and, and coaches going into the Hall of Fame this year. I think that the thing the MEAC has done is uh, – they, they, they've made a conscious decision to be a better conference. Uh, we're, we're led by a great commissioner. I think every school's hiring uh, different coaches from different backgrounds, guys with uh, NFL experience, guys with, uh, you know, Power Five experience. And I think the the level of coaching and the players has, has drastically improved over the last few years. Latrell Scott joining us. He's the head coach at Norfolk State University in his fifth season at NSU. Coach, tell us something about Norfolk State that's maybe unique. Or what, 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 what's your recruiting pitch? When, when you're recruiting kids to your school, what's something that you could sell just about your school, about your institution? Uh, we, we've got a great school. Uh, you know, we've got a great academic base. But I think the thing that sells our program is uh, it, it's family structured. It's, uh, it's about a 6,000-student uh, campus, kind of a campus that's big enough uh, to where everybody's not on top of each other but also small enough to where your professors still know your name. And uh, we, we try to make sure that our coaching staff follows that same philosophy. Uh, we, we're, we're a family-oriented program, as I said, and, and we've got great facilities. Uh, you know, we've got a great basketball team and a uh, great women's basketball team. So it's a, it's a sports-friendly uh, institution, and uh, we've got great student support, and, and uh, you know, we're, we're led by a great administrative staff. Coach, let's talk a little bit about the game Saturday as you go uh, to play the Bobcats. What when you when you've seen Montana State play on tape and started to break down, you know, a little bit of what they do. What jumps out to you? What do you think the, the keys for you are going to be uh, on Saturday? They're they're a very good football team. Uh, you know, you watch the three games that they've played. Obviously, they played Texas Tech and then the two FCS opponents. I think the thing that stands out to me on the offensive side of the ball uh, is their defensive line and their front seven. Um, Really good football players up front, uh, tough, physical, you know, hard-nosed kids that, uh, you know, they, they, they play, you know, for, for the entire 60 minutes. Uh, offensively, you know, big physical offensive line with, with, with the ability to run the football. So um, we've got we've to make sure that, A, defensively we can stop the run and try to contain those guys best we can there. And, and offensively, uh, we struggled last week for the first time this season. We didn't quite snap the ball as many times as uh, we had in the, in the previous two games. So we've got to make sure that we snap the ball uh, as many times as possible and, and, and not turn the football over and continue to score when we get the ball in the red zone. You mentioned the Lions for Montana State. That's definitely the way that Jeff Choates wanted to build his program is from the Lions on out, and they put a high priority on both the offensive and defensive lines. How do you think you guys match up when it comes to going against those two fronts? Well, I have a ton of confidence, uh, you know, in, in both of our lines because it's something that we've had to improve over the years. Uh, you know, I think, um, you know, we we finally gotten ourselves in position to where we have players that can hold up in games like this. Uh, you know, de- 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 defensively, we've struggled to stop the run the last two weeks. Last week was more because of the option scheme uh, versus just getting run over. But uh, it's going to be a tough matchup for us. We're going to have to be creative by, you know, getting some extra people in the box to try to protect the line of scrimmage and, uh, and and trying to put these guys into obvious passing situations. Montana State has had stellar running quarterbacks the last three years, but now a more traditional guy playing quarterback. But when Jeff Choate was breaking down 
Norfolk State's roster to us. He said that Jawan Carter, your guys' quarterback, really reminded him of Chris Murray, a kid they had a couple years back. And Murray was absolutely electric with his legs, uh, one of the best dual threats in the FCS. What have you thought of just Jawan Carter's development, and what sort of element do you think he brings to your guys' offense? Well, when, when Juwan is doing the things that he's supposed to do, uh, he's one of the best quarterbacks uh, in FCS football. You know, he uh, he's had a couple of bad turnovers, made a couple of bad decisions, but, you know, when he's operating our offense and he's uh, taking care of the football, uh, he's got the ability to, to cause you problems with both his legs and his arm. He's, he's a three-year starter, so the game has kind of slowed down from a little bit, and, and he's not making the mistakes that he made as a younger quarterback. And, and as I said, I mean, when he's right, we're right, so our offense, goes as he goes and on the other side of the ball the guy that jumped out right away when I was watching your guys' Coastal Carolina game is Nigel Chavis he looks the part all day and he, he looks like he's playing the part these last couple of years too as one of the best linebackers uh, in your part of the country so what sort of uh, tone setter is he for you for your defense well uh, you know Nigel's, Nigel's a fifth year senior and uh, he's a leader on our defense uh, very physical guy um, you know he he played 90 snaps last week. You know, we've got to find a way to get him off the field some so that he can be uh, have the same level of effectiveness the entire game. But he's definitely the heart and soul of our defense, uh, you know, along with our safety, Bobby Price. Latrell Scott joining us. He is the fifth-year head coach at Norfolk State University. Coach, you guys, the schedule's been pretty interesting because you played Old Dominion, a regional rival, took them down to the wire in a 24-21 loss. Then a Division Two win over Virginia State, the place where you used to work, and then last week against Coastal Carolina, and that's a tough place to play. Shanna Clears, definitely somebody that's familiar out here after they upset Montana in the first round of the playoffs, 2013. But it's kind of been FBS or D2, no FCS games yet. So what do you think of just the gauge you're going to get from your team as you guys play in Bozeman on Saturday? Well, you know, we, we talked to our team about the, the three games that we played. You know, uh, the, the first one, if you look at it on paper, uh, it's not a fair fight based on FCS versus FBS. Uh, the second game is not a fair fight on paper based on the fact that you're playing a Division Two. The third game, you go back to FBS, and now what we're telling our guys is, hey, this should be a fair fight. And uh, it it gives us the ability to really gauge and see exactly where we are. Well, Coach, I'll tell you what, we certainly appreciate you being on with us. We had Kevin Callahan, the Monmouth head coach, on yesterday as they're coming to play the University of Montana, and they went to Bozeman five years ago, and he told us a story. They went and uh, and toured a state park, and five of his players got lost. <laughs> so I just, as a point, I just want to help, you know, and make sure that everybody's accounted for because you get some open spaces in Bozeman, and all of a sudden you look around and you're missing a guy or two, you know? Well, I, I tell you what, the, the, these guys coming from the beach over here, I doubt very seriously that they're going to wander off too far. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Well, Coach, we I, certainly – oh, go ahead. No, I, I said I, I bet I have no idea keeping keep a close, close, close eye on these guys. Any, any other time you're worried about them, but I'm really not worried about them venturing off this time. No doubt. Well, hey, we certainly well, appreciate you coming on with us. We're really looking forward to the game Saturday. Hope you guys have a, a wonderful and a safe trip and, and, a, and a great experience being in uh, being in Montana for maybe the one and only time, okay? Enjoy it. We're looking forward to it. Thanks for having me.